The scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your holy word to hear words of inspiration, words that will change us, words that will make us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that we would realize that you are here. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes so that we may see you and be forever changed. We thank you, O oh God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During seminary, I had the opportunity to go and study a week in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We studied at Acton University. And what Acton University is, is um, an ecumenical council between uh, Catholics and Protestants. We come together and we hear a lot of lectures on economic policy and government policy. It's an interesting mind exercise, but why do I bring this up? I bring this up because I want to put a spotlight on this one speaker. He was this speaker. It was opening night. He came up and he started off with a joke, and he started this joke off by saying, to my Protestant brothers and sisters, this man was obviously Catholic. He said, to my Protestant brothers and sisters, Throughout this conference, you will undoubtedly meet a Catholic. And as you talk to this Catholic brother or sister, please do not say to us during that, during that conversation, in Romans it says, in Matthew it says, for we do not know the Bible. And everyone laughed. And I was like, well, am I supposed to laugh? Was that a joke? But the whole room seemed to have known that this was the joke. And so I was kind of flabbergasted, so I pulled a, a Catholic brother aside and I said, was that a joke? Was I supposed to laugh? And he said, well, it's kind of half truth, half joke. Uh, the, a Catholic attender definitely needs to know what the Catholic Church believes. They are encouraged to follow the doctrines of the Catholic Church, but they are not necessarily encouraged to read the Bible. The Bible is meant for the professionals, the priests, the cardinals, and the pope. So you can leave the Bible stuff to the professionals. And I had a chance to sit and think about it. And I've just come to the conviction, I, I think that's just simply wrong. The gospel is too important to simply hand it over to the professionals. The gospel is something you need to own you need to understand. I would love it if you guys just trusted everything that I said and you followed everything I said. It would be great joy for me. 
But here in the Bible, it shows us that we are to understand the gospel and we need to make it personal. We need to understand it ourselves so that if a teacher were to come and not preach or teach the gospels, it would be within your right to challenge me, to challenge Pastor David. Because what is at stake is not simply a teaching, but everlasting life. And we see that this is the format that is presented to us in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. It says this, the brothers immediately sent Paul, this is the apostle Paul, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Remember, the Apostle Paul is a genius. He had every degree possible in the ancient world from the finest institutions. On top of that, he saw Jesus after he resurrected from the grave. He has all this authority, he has all these credentials, and yet the people still went back to the scriptures to verify Paul's teaching. Here it is commended that the gospel is not trusted to just the professionals, that the gospel is something that we as individuals should treasure and carry. And that is why in the letter in 1 John chapter 4, John is encouraging the congregation to make the gospel their own and to test the spirits. And that is what this passage is about today, to test the spirits, test them to make sure that what they are teaching is in the spirit of God. And so we'll talk about how we test the spirits and second, what we are to expect from these spirits. So first, testing the spirits. First John chapter four, verse one says this, beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. When you choose to listen to a pastor or choose to attend a church, what criteria do you use? Most of the time when we're talking about different churches, um, most people say he is a pastor of a mega church. He must be saying something right. So we go and listen to that person. Or even in seminary circles, we say, did you hear? That person has a PhD from Stanford. Surely he's trustworthy. Or did you hear that that person spoke at so-and-so conference? He should go, we should go to that church. The latest one I've seen is Nick Foles of the Philadelphia Eagles. He won the Super Bowl and is attending seminary and everyone says, I'm attending his church. What criteria do you use? We are all victim of using some weird criteria, and I'm guilty of it too. But the criteria that the uh, Apostle John gives us is clear and plain in verse 2. He says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, John is not saying this is the only thing you should uh, look for, but this is the baseline. 
If this person does not believe in this one essential truth, do not trust them. Do not believe them. And what is this one doctrine? It is the doctrine of Jesus Christ who has come and is in the flesh. I'm going to separate it amongst those three clauses, and I think we need to understand what this criteria entails. First, we have to believe, or the pastor has to believe, that Jesus is the Christ. Meaning what? That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the king above all kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He is the greatest human being to ever live. He has no rival. He is second to none. Jesus is not one of many great teachers. There are many pictures and portraits where we see Gandhi, Jesus, and other movement leaders that sends the wrong message. Jesus is the only one to be worshipped and praised. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord over all the earth, and he reigns supreme. He is not one of the greatest. He is the greatest. Jesus is the Christ. Second, Jesus Christ has come. Now, this is not simply a declaration that Jesus is here, that Jesus actually happened, but that Jesus Christ came for a very specific purpose. If you ever read the, the Gospel of John, you will notice a verb come up often, and it is this, I have sent, I am sent, he was sent. This verb sent keeps coming up because John, for John, it's important. Jesus came. He was sent for a very specific purpose. He did not come just to live life, to see how the other people live, just to see if it was cool being a human or not. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to redeem his brothers and his sisters. He came to die on the cross so that people would be saved and live a life of eternity with God the Father. It is this purpose that Jesus Christ has come. Now, a lot of people will attribute to Jesus and great teachings. Yes, Jesus had a lot of great things to teach. He's an amazing teacher. But his primary reason, first and foremost, was to save his brothers and his sisters. Next, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. Jesus came as an actual human being. He was really one of us. Why is this so important? If you had been following us for the other sermons, you would know that this community had gone through some kind of split or some kind of infighting. They were fighting over some doctrinal issues, and one of the important issues that they were fighting over was the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus had come in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what uh, the other group taught, but we can assume probably two things. They either taught one of two things. First, they thought the doctrine of the incarnation was not that important. They were telling the others, 
Yeah, Jesus may or may not have come in the flesh, but that's not important. What's important is X, Y, Z. That's one possibility. The second possibility is that they denied the doctrine of incarnation altogether. They said, Jesus did not come in the flesh. Stop believing it. Stop being foolish. Now, we don't know which one they taught, but it doesn't really matter because both are heinous and wrong. They are incorrect. The doctrine of the incarnation is vital to the gospel. There is no gospel if there is no Jesus in the flesh. Let me make that clear. If there is no Jesus in the flesh, we are not Christians. We are not saved. There is no point believing in the gospel or attending church. Why? Because it, only, it is only through the flesh that we have been saved. It is only through the death, an actual human death, that our sins are forgiven. If Jesus had simply come as God and died and then resurrected, it would be a cool story and nothing more. That's it. And how to, how to make this jump? Remember, if you are here last week, David made this uh, story about someone jumping overboard. Uh, I think in this service, it was Raul who jumped overboard because he was messing around. And David stood by the boat, and he saw the uh, vehicle that could save him. But all he said was, Raul, I love you, man. I love you. So what would it look like if Jesus had just come as God, died, and then resurrected? The equivalent would be David jumping off the boat, going into the ocean, and then coming just back up the boat and saying, Raul, I love you. It still has no effect. He didn't actually save him. And if Jesus did not come in the flesh, we weren't actually saved. That's why John is saying this doctrine of incarnation is so vital. That if the person, if the teacher does not teach this, they are not from God. Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is Paul talking. That even if an angel, that if heaven to, were op to open up, an angel came down with mighty wings and said, Jesus did not come in the flesh, you are to run away because that spirit is not from God. So here John is saying it doesn't matter about your credentials. It doesn't matter if you're a charismatic speaker. It doesn't matter how many people are attending your church. What matters the most is if this teacher is teaching the gospel. Because if the teacher is not teaching the gospel, that is Jesus has come in the flesh, you have been robbed of something grand. It is vital that we continually remember the gospel. And why? Why is this so important to us? Because our salvation depends upon it. John goes on to say, verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Do you see the line John draws? If this person does not say Jesus has come in the flesh, this person is the Antichrist or possesses the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm speaking again on the Antichrist. Um, I joked in the first service, I'm the pastor of the Antichrist. Um, it's a joke. Uh, and I think John thinks this is important because he wants us to understand the spirit of our age. The spirit of the Antichrist is not only something present back in antiquity. I want to show you that the spirit of the Antichrist still lives today. That there are prophets and people who continually speak denying the flesh of Jesus Christ. And how do they do so? You know, the spirit of the Antichrist doesn't use power. It, the spirit of the Antichrist is very subtle most of the time. Most of you, as you enter work, no one will come up to you and say, hey, stop believing that Jesus came in the flesh. No one will do that to you in your work. And if they do, you might need to look for a new job. That's weird. But no one does that, or no one comes up to the pulpit and say, hey, stop believing that Jesus came in the flesh. That's foolish. No one says that. But hear how the message is packaged in our day and age. The message of the Antichrist is packaged in the doctrine of self-love. The most important thing now in our age is self-love. Love yourself. Love yourself. You deserve this. Have you ever caught yourself saying, treat yourself? Get yours. Oh, I deserve this. I have said it many times. It's a powerful message. And it's an enticing message because in this world where we're swaying back and forth and everyone is hating each other, the message that seems appealing is love yourself, or in other words, love your own flesh. The spirit of the age is this. We don't deny the flesh of Jesus. We no longer care about it. The flesh of Jesus no longer has, important, has any importance in our culture. Because what is most important is that we love our own flesh first. And we all know that this is wrong. I'm not saying don't love yourself, but that can't be the main doctrine you live by. And why? Everyone knows that it's problematic. Don't love yourself. People are like, what? Yeah, don't love yourself. We are not equipped to love ourselves very well. And people know this. What do we call people that really love themselves? Narcissists. It's a disease, they say. So the world is obviously sending a mixed message. Love yourself. You're all that matters. Okay, I'm going to do that. What's wrong with you? Stop loving yourself. It's confusing. And it's not that we don't love ourselves. It's just it can't be the primary thing we think about. We need to primarily put our eyes upon Jesus and Jesus' flesh, his body. That is how you appropriately love yourself. It's by first loving Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is the thing that John wants to convey more than anything, and this is what we need to hear. Verse 4, little children. I love when he calls us children. He's calling us children because he's coming from a place where he wants us to succeed. And he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What is John telling us here? He's saying this. Jesus died for you. And he resurrected. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And that spirit lives inside of you. And that spirit that lives inside of you is stronger than any force that this world has to offer. What does this mean? It means we can engage in the world. Listen to the message of the world. I think many pastors have erred by saying, you see, the message of the Antichrist is bad. Run from it. Flee from it. Burn all your CDs. Don't watch this. Don't do this. Don't do that. But I don't think that's what John is saying here. He's saying the Spirit of God lives within you. It's much stronger. We just have to remember, and then you will see the power of God unleashed. God says, go live in the world for six days. Do it. Work. Listen to their message. Then one day out of seven, come back with your brothers and sisters and remember the power that lives within you. The power that says Jesus Christ, the almighty king, the Messiah, the great one, loves you. Loves you so much, he died for you. That is where you get your value. That is where you get your worth. That is where you find your purpose. Verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And I'm telling you as a person who confesses these things, listen to me. God loves you more than you will ever know. He came in the flesh to die for you. And let me get real for us with that doctrine. That doctrine is saying that your body, not just your soul, your body is so wonderful and valuable to Jesus that he died for it. We live in an era where all the marketing tells us that you are not good enough. Love yourself, so buy this. You deserve to have this. You deserve to have this. Buy it. Get it. Get yours. But Jesus says, I love you. So I went down and got you. Your whole self. Your body and your soul. Here we learn that Jesus Christ valued each and every single one of us. And that what we are to do is to simply remind ourselves. We think it's not that much. Just remind yourselves, that's it? Yes. Remind yourselves. Anchor your soul and your body to the person who loves you the most. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. 
Because what this will naturally do, as you think about more and more of the flesh of Jesus Christ, you will not be able to stop thinking about the body of Christ. And that's how John leads us. As he talks about this great doctrine of incarnation, the next verses we are going to learn about is how we ought to love one another. The way we truly become human, the way we truly learn to love ourselves is by loving the flesh of Jesus. Because encapsulated in all that is the power to love and to feel loved. Brothers and sisters, there is no commandment here to get better. There is no commandment here to do this. The commandment is simply to remember and listen to me. That as someone who is in the spirit of God, as we are in the spirit of God, you are loved. Do not forget that. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And for that, we give glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, thank you that you have made my job and Pastor David's job relatively easy. We proclaim you. We don't have to tell stories forever. We just need to speak of you and what you have done for us. Lord, we are often reminded in church that you have come in the flesh. And let us remember that great truth as the world will continually tell us that our flesh is not good enough, that we need to improve, that we need to do other things, may we, may we be reminded that you loved us so much that you died for us and for that we will be forever loved. No matter how our body or our soul is, you have chosen to attach yourself to us forever. May there be praise in heaven for this doctrine. And may we sing of your great glory, and may we never forget. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.